The Ice Pod, a podcast about polar science and the people. Presented by Kirsten Werner from the International Coordination Office for Polar Prediction. From Bremen, Germany, hello and welcome to The Ice Pod, the podcast about polar science and the people. My name is Kirstin Werner. I am with the International Coordination Office for Polar Prediction. And uh, with this episode, actually, we are starting what I would call the second season of our podcast in support of the 10-year Polar Prediction Project, which is to improve weather and sea ice forecasts in the Arctic and in Antarctica. And that is actually an initiative by the World Meteorological Organization, WMO. So the upcoming episode of the second season are all about users of weather and uh, sea ice information in the polar regions. And uh, so we would like to learn more about what users in polar regions actually use when they go out in the field or when they plan their tours. And also we are very much interested to hear what uh, might still be missing in terms of forecasting and how operational centers actually can help filling these gaps. So in the next few episodes, I'm really happy um, that we will hear um, more about a captain um, of the German research icebreaker Polar Stern. We also talk to a helicopter pilot from uh, Polar Stern. Uh, we get to know more about the work of an Antarctic tour guide. And also we speak to an Antarctic expedition leader working for a huge uh, expedition cruise line in Norway. So today we have two guests who joined me in our, so to say, virtual studio, Lasse Rabenstein and Panagiotis Konturis. They both work for Drift and Noise Polar Services, which is a startup company based in Bremen in Germany. Hello Lasse, hello Panos. Hi. Moin. Hello. Good afternoon. Good to have you on, on this interview. And Panos is actually joining us from Greece, right? Yep, that's correct. So before we're going to talk more about uh, your company, Drift and Noise, and all the services you offer, we would like to get to know a bit more about you yourself. So um, if you would have, let's say, uh, one minute to introduce yourself, what would you say? Maybe start with Lasse. Yeah, hi, I'm Lasse. I'm, uh, I'm a geophysicist, so that still comes uh, first. I'm a scientist by heart, but I also developed or experienced the um, world of entrepreneurship over the last six years and started my own company um, in 2014, officially in 2016, really. So I'm, I'm an academia quitter, if you say. So I left academia at some point, but I found out that running a, a modern company, I can still follow my my heart and my passion for ice and the Arctic, for earth sciences as well. It's actually a very good combination. So that's probably what, what defines me at the moment. It's this, this mixture of entrepreneurship and research with a passion for ice, the polar regions and earth sciences in general. Originally, I'm from Berlin. I now live in Bremen. In Bedouin, I lived for more than seven years in Switzerland studying the glaciers of the Alps at the ETH Zurich. Uh, I just realized I'm, I'm looking back on already a 20 years long career in academia and science and in a, as a startup. So I'm 42 years old, um, not very young any longer, not one of the young professionals any longer. Well, <laughs> depends on the perspective. <laughs> Yeah, so, so Lasse, you really have your background in geophysics and uh, you did your PhD at the Alfred Wegener Institute in Bremerhaven and then um, started this company. And you actually brought the polar virus into the company, I would guess so. Yeah, so when, when we started, actually, it was with two former colleagues from the Alfred Wegener Institute. Mm -hmm. um, I was already in Switzerland, but we were still in contact. Um, so we all had the Arctic virus this uh, moment, but the present team also with Panos. Um, uh, so I probably, I mean, we all have the Arctic virus by now, but I'm, I think I'm the only one uh, who uh, was already in the Arctic, standing on an ice floe mm -hmm. and have this background mm -hmm. from the Alfred Wigner Institute. 
But uh, my colleagues, my co-founders, Paul and Panos, one is with us here, uh, bring, of course, some other uh, backgrounds as well from academia and research, but not from the RV. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I see. Okay, and Panos, if you would have one minute or let's say a bit more <laughs> um, to introduce yourself. So, yeah, hi also from my side. Um, I'm also a physicist uh, without... I didn't have this uh, microbe or this uh, polar virus, but uh, I did get that back to 2016 when I joined uh, Drift and Noise. Mm -hmm. So as I said, I'm a physicist with uh, my background is uh, on meteorology and uh, environmental physics. That was my master. And then at the end of 2016, I gained also my PhD at the Max Planck Institute um, for Biogeochemistry in collaboration with the Friedrich Schiller um, University in Vienna. So my background there, it's, uh, I'm, I'm working with modeling, so I'm, I would describe myself mostly as passionate researcher. Mm -hmm. I worked on atmospheric modeling mostly, and that's the, that's the knowledge I bring uh, to Drift Noise, where I'm working mostly with uh, remote sensing data, satellite imagery, and models. Mm -hmm. I see. So you're really the data person here, having exactly. worked... Um, in Jena at the Max Planck Institute. So I was wondering, um, Jena and Bremen is not so close. How did you two meet? Was that also the, the moment Drift and Noise was born or was that different timing? No, it, it was later. Yeah, it, it was a little later. So the, the spin-off company, uh, Drift and Noise, was born officially in 2014. Mm -hmm. It all started with a so-called Helmholtz Enterprise Initiative. So the The umbrella organization of the AVI, um, the Helmholtz Association, they support uh, their yeah, young professionals and researchers to think about applications of their ideas and research. So they um, actively supported and fund um, the preparation of a startup company, of a spin-off company. Mm -hmm. So that all started with my colleagues, uh, Thomas and Stefan, this time at AVI. The team has changed since then. So in 2016, we had to grow, which was good because we had a big contract and we had a research grant. Um, and uh, so by that time, we officially published uh, a job position. And I think Panos uh, received this job position advertisement uh, via the email list Matt Jobs. If I remember correctly. So you, yeah. you two met the first time for an interview, a job interview. <laughs> Very officially, exactly. <laughs> We met via yeah. a telephone call, I would say. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I mean, formally I was the boss of Panos, I would say, but uh, since 2019 we are partners mm -hmm. in the company because then the organizational structure of the company changed. And yeah, now we, uh, we both uh, manage in a way the company, if you want. Yeah, yeah. I see. Okay, before we get to talk about uh, Drift and Noise a bit more, um, Lasse also brought some music. Um, so one of the songs you brought is um, from German band Tonsteine Scherben, Der Traum ist aus. Uh, Lasse, do you have some connection to that song or why did you bring it? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very old, sound, uh, old song. Um, everybody in Germany probably knows it. Uh, the connection of this song is, uh, first, I think it's a very positive and emotional song. I mean, the title doesn't sound so positive, but actually I think it's a positive message in the song. And uh, it was in 2007, I was on Polarstern in the middle of this Arctic and uh, everybody on board had to name one song for a playlist to be played on a certain occasion. I forgot actually, maybe it was some kind of party or dinner or so. And since I was a little bit homesick, to my home city, Berlin, uh, I have chosen this very emotional uh, song, which definitely reminds me on my time in Berlin, in Kreuzberg. And, uh, and so that's the background of yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, and Kreuzberg is also the place where uh, Tonsteiner Scherben were really active, huh? By yeah, a long, longer yeah. time ago. I think it's more yeah. as the time yeah. of my parents, probably, or <laughs> than my parents. Yeah, I mean, it's an evergreen song. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, okay. So, so just for the listeners of the iSpot, how it works. So for the first season, we always had these playlists on Spotify with the music from the interview guests. And um, this time we will integrate um, the songs into the episode. So this is a new feature from Spotify. 
And for all the others who are listening to the podcast, you can find the song on other music platforms. Uh, we will put a song uh, list in the um, description of the podcast. And for those of you who are listening to us uh, right now at Radio Weser TV uh, here in uh, Bremen or Bremerhaven, we have just the songs integrated so you can listen to that. So, yeah, let's listen to the song. Okay, so we are back with the ice pod uh, talking to Lasse and Panos about their um Startup company and also spin off from the Alfred Wegener Institute, actually, spin off company. So Drift and Noise has been founded, actually, Lasse, you said it already in 2014, and then you have grown very much. So right now I've seen you have six people working for Drift and Noise. I was wondering who came up with the name? I can see the drift, uh, not so much the noise. So what's the background about that? Yeah, the, <coughs> the background of To be honest, I don't like the name uh, today very much, but it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's so much established now um, that we cannot really change it. So it it actually goes back to a time when I was working at Alfred Wigner Institute in the end of the uh, yeah, but 2008 2009. The idea of starting an own business already was in in my head and in the head of my colleagues there at that time. And uh, I worked with an instrument to measure ice thickness. And mm -hmm. I had uh, to solve two problems about drift and noise of the instrument. And um, at some point, of course, I solved these problems. But uh, then uh -huh. we came up with this joke that uh, when we start a company, then we call it drift and noise. And then later we came together and actually had to find a name. And uh, we did not really put this into as a serious um A suggestion, but then we had a force mm -hmm. in the team, which is Matthias, who is not coming from this technical background at all. He originally is actually a lawyer. And then he said, like, I, d I don't think it's a bad name, actually, um, because it differentiates us from other companies to working in the North and then with ice. Mm -hmm. Most of them have kind of similar names, something with polar, borealis, blue, white uh, logos. And then we have chosen this orange color and Yeah, in the end, we, we named it like this and, um, and we grew with it. And now we have the name and it's, uh, but in the end, I, I found as well that if you do this branding of a name, in the end, the original meaning is, is really becoming less important. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. why, why should you, why should you call a company producing computers like fruit? Um, so nobody's <laughs> questioning this nowadays. So, um, in the, in the end, it's a little bit like this. So I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the name, but that's our company. It's called like this and it's emerging from a physical concept of a, of an instrument measuring ice thickness. Yeah, yeah. I see. But if you are on a, on an icebreaker like Polar Stern, I mean, I can confirm there's a lot of noise also. So in, in yeah, a way, it makes sense. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> in, in a way, it actually, you could also explain it like drift because drift anyway makes sense because the ice is drifting continuously. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's, that's a good point with the icebreak. I haven't thought about it, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So that was always the connection to me. So that made totally yeah. sense. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I should uh, adopt this uh, explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> you as the founder. So what really was the motivation for, for you to um, start this company? Uh, maybe you can explain um, very briefly how, you know, what was the motivation to bring this into life? Um, what were the gaps you might have felt at the time you would like to, you know, fill with these uh, company and, and what do you actually do? Um, well, maybe I start with what we actually yeah. do is we support um, any activity mainly related to shipping in polar regions mm -hmm. with our experience. Um, and our experience mainly is We know about environmental factors changing in time, mainly the ice. So we're talking about finding a good way through the ice, around the ice, a safe way, a fuel-saving way. So every activity needs to have a constant and continuous awareness of the ice. And uh, I think we found some very good concepts in delivering information on ice in addition to what already exists on the market. And, uh, for example, by creating this app, ICC, mm -hmm. um, 
like not not just three letters I C C, but uh, the English word for icy sea, so frozen ocean, you could say icy sea. Yeah. It's um, and um, <clears throat> yeah, exactly. That's what we're doing. So we 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 help to navigate more efficiently in ice and more safe. And um, what was the original reason um, to start a company is. Um, I mean, we have done this job actually already on Arctic cruises or on our Arctic expeditions. Mm -hmm. Very often it ended up with one of my colleagues or me. Like on the, on and, the and research vessel, you mean on these? On research yes. vessels okay. or also on land-based mm -hmm. expeditions where we worked from land on, on ice, that we were the ones organizing satellite images, interpreting them, explaining or giving advices to, to the, to the crew on board or to the other scientists mm -hmm. about what eyes do we have and so on. And at some point, I mean, people gave me the feedback that whenever one of us is on board, the ice information level was incredibly higher oh. than when other group of scientists were on board. Um, so, and then I, at some point, my colleagues and me, we started to think, okay, why, why not starting automate this a little bit and starting a service with this. What did you do differently than other groups who were on board? We did it at all, okay. let's say. I mean, it, it really, I mean, we, it is, we're talking about the sea ice physics group mm -hmm. at RV, mm -hmm. um, which actually I have to say nowadays, it's a very large group, a group again. Uh, this time we are talking about the 2008, 9 and 10. It was down to a couple of people only. I mean, the measuring part of the sea ice physics group was at that time only three PhD students. <laughs> I was one of them. And it was by far not certain how this CS physics department develops at the RV. Nowadays, it's very big again, uh, with Christian Haas as the new head of the group, and the old and new head of the group, and so on. But this time, it was not obvious at all. And so um, I, I simply would say there was not a lot of, of CIs know-how mm -hmm. uh, on every cruise mm -hmm. as it could be. Yeah. And, um, yeah, because just by nature, I mean, if you're doing biology or any other research, you do not come, or maybe you do, but it was simply also part of our research, which, which had an overlap to operational activities here. Yeah. And that was very, very positive and very practical in that mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. um, and you basically took the satellite images and looked at it on board by the time? Or what was it, what you were yeah, doing? Yeah, for example, I mean, mm -hmm. it was by that time, Nowadays, we have way more satellite images available okay. through the Copernicus program yeah. of the EU. By that time, um, I remember we worked with Envisat, for example, that was the kind of the predecessor of the Sentinel-1 satellites. Mm -hmm. But a way, it was a different mission, definitely, in a lot of aspects. But it produced these rare images, and we, we could, for example, we produced software, downloading it, um, sending it on board automatically, Uh, also, another uh, colleague of mine at RV uh, was very active uh, at that time. Uh, Thomas Busche, what, he's now working at DLR. I'm still cooperating with him. So mm -hmm. it's also building up a network of different yeah. people. So it's, it, it was in the end, um, we were dealing with these satellite images. Yeah. And, uh, and that brought us to the idea to create maybe a service with it. Mm -hmm. um, another idea was that, or another driver was that it was, the three PhD students um, who were thinking about working together in the future, but none of us had a permanent position by mm -hmm. that time. So it was also just a simply practical reason to maybe take your own future in the hand and start creating something which might feed your families at some point. It was yeah. definitely also a um, Which is an un ongoing topic in academics, right? Uh, you don't have permanent <laughs> positions and you think about what else you could do, I think. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was that was as well a driver for founding yeah. this company, and I think that's exactly why the Helmholtz Association supports mm -hmm. th with this mm -hmm. enterprise fund uh, young professionals, young scientists yeah. Yeah. looking at about different careers and becoming a professor eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you find you found found a good way to found this company, which uh, I understand now is uh, really combining different information from ICE services and also other uh, predictions to really uh, provide a good product um, to people who need to use this kind of information for their activities in the Arctic. It's mainly Arctic, is it? 
No, it's both polar regions. Um, yeah. yeah, so the, the satellites of the Copernicus program and others, they circled the planet mm-hmm. in a polar orbit, mm-hmm. uh, south and north, of course. So um, we can and we do support uh, activities in both polar hemispheres. Yeah, okay. Okay, and Panos, uh, you joined in 2016. What, what is your particular role? Um, yeah, exactly. So I joined in uh, November, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. 2016. Mostly I work on the background, meaning um, screening and uh, working with uh, remote sensing data. That's mostly satellite imagery like the Sentinel-1 images. And also model data. So one of the roles is how to operationalize, for example, the, those products or basically making a screen and see how we can get the best out of those data um, and bring that to the end user in a way that he can really use, uh, understand and use um, the information. My part is also not only operationalizing data provisioning, for example, but really um, discovering ways where we can have a higher level products coming from a, from a lower level products by combining them. Mm-hmm. If I may give an example, we, use, we have, for example, the Sentinel-1 information, which is static images. And we have also information from operational models for, uh, for say, the, the ice drift, for example. So we have forecasts, how the ice develops in the future. And then a big challenge, for example, is how how we combine this information so, so that mm-hmm. we give really good solutions to, to the end users. Say you are in the bridge of a ship and you want to take decisions by not thinking too much, but having the data and the data mm-hmm. speak to you, really speak in a direct way to you. So it's another aspect here to derive um, smart visualizations mm-hmm. so that the end user can really have an immediate situationalized awareness. Yeah. An example of that is our Prima algorithm, for example. I don't know if, yeah. These are the predictive ice images you provide, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. So what we do there, um, we have a static image from the Sentinel-1 um, satellite, and we couple, and we couple information from from Topaz-4 model, for example. That's that's an operational or coupled oceanic and atmospheric model where we get the ice drift information. And then we use um, morphing algorithms from, uh, that's that's a computer vision um, module we use, OpenCV, for example, and we couple these those two data sets. And what we have at the very end is, um, I, I call it a movie or a moving images, mm-hmm. um, showing immediately how the ice develops. Now, what is the advantage of that? I mean, Imagine that you have the ice drift information, which is just a vector. So basically, basically the way you visualize that is just by having an arrow, which indicates magnitude probably and the um, and the uh, angle of the vector. Mm-hmm. And then the end user, he has to decide then, he can only qualitatively actually understand how the ice will develop over the next couple of days. Probably he will say, yeah, maybe it goes south, southwest or something. But the way we do that, I mean, with the Prima algorithm, we give at an hourly, for example, time step, the development of the ice without having uh, the user to understand only qualitatively, but we have quantitative here results with the whatever, okay. of course, uncertainty coming with the ice, with the, with the forecast products. Yeah. So if I would be a captain of a fishing vessel um, who would like to go north of Svalbard to find some really nice fishing grounds, I could look at these images and see how the ice will develop. And I don't have to um, really understand uh, complicated data, but I would look just at some pictures that are moving, right? Like like a video, right? That's exactly yeah, yeah, exactly how yeah. you describe that. So you can have yeah. some images and then you have the time. Mm-hmm. An approximated time, of course, where the ice will move at a certain place. So, given the, this forecast, you can calculate then um, maybe your course or what to expect over the next few hours. If it will mm-hmm, be, for example, mm-hmm. ice covered or ice free, the area that you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. And is this available as an as an app already on a mobile phone, or is that something I I check on the computer or? 
Not yet. That's, that's, that's an algorithm we developed at Drift and Noise. Okay. So uh-huh. we can support uh, end users uh, upon request, of course. Okay. But that's not an already developed app. So it runs in, uh, in our servers at the moment. I see. And it's, okay, and it's in a phase that we, it, we further develop it. Yeah, something to look forward then. Before we get to talk about the recent ICC app, Lasse mentioned it already. We have another song. Lasse, you brought it. And um, it's uh, Alles muss man selber machen. All you have to do yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, um, you have to start a company yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, alles muss man selber machen lassen. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, It's actually a running gag in our company. Uh, so when we were um, discussing emotionally here at some point, someone hit on the table and said, muss man denn hier alles selber machen lassen? With reference to that Deichkind song, of course. So yeah. that's, a, that's a reason why I've chosen it. Um, but maybe it's also, um, it's also the, the funny thing about the song is that it also refers to exactly this thing that You should not do everything yourself mm-hmm. when you want to start a company because it's a difference to being self-employed, being a freelancer. You should also delegate and some tasks and hire people to do so. Yeah. So that's, in that sense, this song fits in, in a lot of aspects. And it's okay. good music. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Deichkind, alles muss man selber machen lassen. It was a year ago, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, when you've launched the ICC app, and I say it again, ICC, it's like ICC, <laughs> Frozen Ocean, like Lasse said. Uh, I think it's a, it's a fun name. In the video that's available about this app, um, you call it the one-stop solution for ice information on board. Can you give a little background on this app? For whom has it been made and how can people actually use it? And what's the stage of it? Because I, I understood it's always under development, right? To, to further improve. Yeah, that's correct. So presently, I would say it's unfortunately not yet the one stop solution. Uh, you probably also need to, to, uh, consultate other information sources, but it's already a big, big help. Yeah, it's correct. We released it last November as part of a Copernicus user uptake project. So that was also the first um, development of it was was financed by uh, by the Copernicus Marine program, and um, <clears throat> and uh, I can say um, it a, lar- a large part of of data in the app is also free to use, but uh, mm-hmm. ICC will also be used in our consulting work. So when we um, When a company, like a shipping company or a research institute or contracts us, then it will also get a full and premium access to the, to the application. We really focused on one of the major problems, ice navigators or um, ice going ships in the, in the polar regions have is how to get the different data on board. It's, um, it's a low bandwidth problem we have here. If, if you're on a ship, you already have way lower internet than um, if you have a, a normal internet connection on land. And that's even worse in the high latitudes because a lot of these geostationary communication satellites do not reach the high latitudes. And in the end, you um, end up, uh, I think the only truly global coverage satellite communication system is Iridium. But Iridium has a way lower bandwidth than, than other Uh, satellite systems uh, and and even way lower bandwidth than what we are used to here on land, you can feel like you're back in the 90s. So all these nice and beautiful web pages providing high resolution images from the space agencies or other providers, they simply do not help you there. You can't access them. Yeah, exactly. Maybe some people have a back office where people do that job. They download data, they shrink it in size, they whatever do with it. Um, but with the ICC app, that's just one feature I'm, I'm, I'm giving here now is you mm-hmm. press on, uh, on one position of the map and then you can download a low resolution version of one part of a satellite image, for example, which is then only 35 kilobytes instead of downloading 500 megabyte large image, which is impossible 
by the way. Mm-hmm. And, and very mm-hmm. often that's already sufficient if, if you're somewhere close to the ice or in the ice and you just want to know how, what's the actual situation? How, how did it look yesterday or right now, a couple of hours ago? And then you can download that, that, um, image and, uh, How often is this image updated? Every other hour or? Yeah, that depends on, so here we are dependent on the European Space Agency. How yeah. often the Sentinel-1 satellites, there are two of them in the orbit, um, record. Uh, so in the European Arctic, like Svalbard, Greenland, and the Eastern Canadian regions, you have updates almost every day, mm-hmm. sometimes a little less, but it's quite a good coverage. If you're going more to the east, to Russia, to the Alaskan seas, Beaufort Sea, Uh, it's considerably less and you very often only have an update every three days or so. And in Antarctica, it also varies, um, but it's also usually less good covered uh, than the European mm-hmm. Arctic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in some regions like the Weddell Sea, Ant- Antarctic Peninsula, you can have an image every one to three days. Ross mm-hmm. Sea mm-hmm. is also quite well covered. Other regions in Antarctica are not as good. So that... We are really depending. Um, so how fast is, is sea ice actually moving? Can it change within a day, like really, you know, or? Yes, ab- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. sea ice drifts from not at all, then it's called fast ice, mm-hmm. which is usually close to the coasts, to uh, looking at the East Greenland current, for example. I think there are days where the ice can travel 100 kilometers or so. Oh, Okay. Um, yeah, I think on average, you can say if, if you're just in the Arctic, on average, I usually uh, say 20 kilometers is the average a day. Okay. So it, it can change considerably from one day to another, indeed. Yeah. So you have some open leads uh, and the other day they, they might be closed already. Yeah, that anyway. Yeah. I mean, the dynamics inside the ice cover is really quick. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and so you have you have these images from satellites in in the ICC app, but you have also other data there, right? Yeah, we have um, in in uh, with in this Copernicus user uptake project. We also cooperated with two uh, meteorologists and scientists from the Meteorological Service of Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Malte Müller and Cyril Palerm. They um, developed an improved uh, ice drift forecast uh, method for the region around Svalbard. Mm-hmm. And they contribute um, to um, the ICC app these uh, improved ice drift information and we translate it into so-called trajectory. So if you go on our app, mm-hmm. you always see a chain of points I would say, which shows you how an ice flow will drift over the next days according to the latest forecasted results uh, by METNO. And uh, yeah, that's a very fast and quick way to understand the dynamics of ice, similar to what Panos explained. The Prima images would then even be on top of that, but the Prima images are also based on these trajectories you see in ICC. So eventually, these animated images will also be in the in the app. But this comes with a lot of okay. software engineering problems and so on. Um, yeah, you were asking about what is the stage of ICC, and I said yeah. it's never finished. So um, indeed, it will never be finished because there will always be new data around. There will be new satellite sources around, and uh, we will also and always have feedback from users. Mm-hmm. We want our goal is that ICC is is a really really useful tool, and it remains so. Mm-hmm. And uh, for that, we need to improve it constantly. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And you always have to fulfill the requirement of low bandwidth at these ships, right? So. Yeah, at the moment, it's still very, uh, very low bandwidth on board ships. Yeah, yeah. It might change in the future due to low Earth orbit communication satellite systems mm-hmm. being launched already. And also next year, there's a new uh, big satellite, communication satellite being launched mm-hmm. by the Norwegians. Uh, which is at least then as good as the normal geostationary communication lines in lower latitudes, but for the polar orbit. Yeah. So uh, hopefully next or in two years, there will already a big step forward in bandwidth uh, in the polar regions. 
But then eventually, I think looking five, ten years into the future, I think the bandwidth problem will become less of an issue. Ah, okay. So yeah, if you're interested um, at, in this ICC app, um, I would uh, point you to the Drift and Noise webpage, right, uh, Lasse? It's yeah, I think just Drift Drift Noise in one word, driftnoise.com, and then if you click on the services you see already the icc service listed there and then you can uh try it out you have to register to use it i mean yes. we, we, i know that we scare away some people by registering but Not we me. don't do any we don't do any harm with the data <laughs> and so on but um it's it's so important for us to talk to the people when the people want to talk of course using it because otherwise we will not be able to improve it and to understand what users really want yeah. Yeah. So, um, so if you register, you might expect that at least one time we contact you and ask if you, if you want to give us feedback or so. But then if you say no, then we will not contact you again. Yeah. So yeah. don't be afraid. And I, I tried it. I tried it out both on my mobile phone and also on the web page and it worked really well. So you can click on certain things and then you see. Um, at least all the different information yeah. there. And for Svalbard, around Svalbard, you have this, um, What what do you have on Svalbard? It's it's an extra high resolution data there, right? Around on Svalbard, Svalbard? Yeah, the, yeah, you can yeah this this um, function to download tiles of Sentinel One images in low and yes. high resolution. That's a function which is freely available in Svalbard mm -hmm. because it was financed by the Copernicus uh, project. But uh, that's also where we start. Um, creating revenue because in other regions you have to book mm -hmm. our service to have this um, feature included. Yeah, which makes sense. At some point you have to, you know, earn your money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's also about sustainability. Um, I mean, some people uh, think we want to get incredibly rich and to be honest, doing a CI service and working in CIs, it's not about becoming incredibly rich. It's more about passion of the Arctic and so on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, it's sustainable. I think it's a very sustainable way if we manage in the end really to have enough subscribers to our mm -hmm. service and to our uh, to our CI service that it feeds itself. Um, yeah. That's very often the problems. I know that from research that EU pro projects or national projects at some point they end and everything mm -hmm. you created in the worst case just stops being developed further mm -hmm. and it's it's dead basically. But I think if something is fed by the users of a system, then it can really survive longer yeah. or maybe forever. And I think, I mean, if the project uh, product really makes sense, you know, and is really a help for, for users of Forecast, why don't they pay? I think uh, that will be something um, also. Yeah, it will, it will, of course, be yeah. a business to business case here. So we don't yeah. expect that individual users start uh, paying for it because we cannot expect millions of users like for an app like Windy, for example. Yeah. I mean, every, Windy is a perfect app, but it's really going for global weather forecasts. So it's, it, right. everybody uses it nowadays. They have millions of users, I suppose, by now. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can really say like, okay, then we, then we, it's free. I think Windy is free to a large degree still. Now they start with small premium accounts. So then this business model works out if you have mm -hmm. millions of users, mm -hmm. but we really have to make contracts with, institutes and companies and then all employees of this company or institute get access to to the ICC app then yeah so you brought another song Lasse feed your head Kalkbrenner what is this one about yeah that's um, it's, it's very different to the other ones maybe it's very electronic <laughs> music okay Deichkind is also a little bit electronic um, it's um, I mean that's it, it's a music I could imagine to switch on when I'm just not at work on a, on a on a polar ship and just gliding along the ice flows, uh, enjoying the midnight sun or so. Mm -hmm. That definitely fits to it. And uh, it's also um, very often I listen to electronic music, which focus on concentration when I'm working, programming or so here in, in the office. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's maybe the referral to that kind of music. And it's also... Re re Reminds me to my home city Berlin again because I think Paul Kalkbrenner is also yes. a Berlin story. Yeah. yeah, it is. So, Panos, I wonder uh, with Drift and Noise, um, you're really what is called or what you call an intermediate user. So, on one hand, you communicate with the operational forecasting centers 
for example, with uh, you mentioned already Lasse with Met Norway, and you take their data and kind of translate it into the products that are then easily accessible and also easily can be used by people who work and sometimes even live in the polar regions. So I wonder how this translation effort works. Can you tell a little on the process, maybe start with the operational centers? How do you communicate and what do you do with the data? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so as Lasse mentioned, we, we mostly, we, we use actually open fleet data, mostly from Copernicus Marine Service. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we have a direct contact with those centers, but um, this can be, though, a direct collaboration in the frames of uh, EU projects, like the one collaboration we had with the uh, Met Office of Norway. Mm -hmm. And on the second part is that we directly communicate with the users because we do need their feedback so that we understand their actual needs and we need to um, understand how we translate, as you said, the information we get from the uh, from the data providers mm -hmm. to the end to the end user. And and how do you do that? I mean, how do you get the feedback from the users and implement that into your product? I would say mostly, I think, with surveys. Lasse is working uh, a lot with the mm -hmm. surveys, so he's preparing a lot of quite a lot of questions to the to the end users. End users might be ice pilots, mm -hmm. probably um, captains of of the ships mm -hmm. and um, it's definitely through the serving and then it's direct also communication uh, via phone calls, uh, meetings. Mm -hmm. and so so that's, that's mostly the way we get um, the feedback um, from the end user. So taking care of customers is a, is a huge part then also in, in drift and noise, right? Exactly. Exactly. As we said, we, it's not that we, um, that someone uh, is making a contract and he gets the data, but he basically mm -hmm. books, Uh, the personnel of Drift and Noise. So it doesn't come only to give you the data and, and that's the end of the day. But um, mm -hmm. we hear what he has to say, what is the actual needs. If he has a cust some custom tailor-made needs that we, can, we might implement to the current products that we have. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe we listen and we do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And what, from your experience uh, and from the service you took and maybe um, talking to people, what is the main thing users would like to see? And um, yeah, is there a particular thing they, they really need um, a good product for? Or is that really depending on, on each of the cases? I think it really depends. But at the very end, everything emerges to the need of forecasts, of uh, really precise forecasts. Mm -hmm. That's that's a big topic, though. It's it, it's not easy to have a a forecast a forecast which is uh, really precise. I mean, there are always uncertainties within. But yeah, if 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 mm -hmm. you would have the perfect product, I would say is the perfect forecast where you know the ice will be moving that direction mm -hmm. uh, in that amount of time. That would be the perfect uh, solution, probably for the all the end users at the very end. Yeah, uh, okay. I often hear captains say, ah, you know what? I don't need these fancy new products. I better look out of the window and, you know, uh, make my own um, <laughs> decision. Uh, what do you say to them then? I mean, he's a captain. He can, he, he's responsible for, for, for his ship and what <laughs> kind of data um, yeah, yes. he, wants, he wants to consider. But uh, I would say that uh, nowadays he definitely needs to have the most up-to-date and state-of-the-art data that they are available mm -hmm. to consult mm -hmm. himself, educate himself first, yeah. and then take educated decisions. So it wouldn't be enough um, today also with the, with the opportunities and the possibilities we have nowadays. It's good not to only take uh, your own eyesight, but also um, see what additional products are out there um, to support your decision. Yeah. Absolutely. And I yeah. think this is something that it changes. I mean, that's very likely with maybe we had a couple of examples uh, with um, older captains from previous mm -hmm. generation, probably that they find really difficult to get uh, another machine or information level on the bridge exactly at the moment that they already have a lot of information to assimilate and take decisions mm -hmm. on that. And mm -hmm. uh, by knowing another new system that will 
probably overload them. But I do yeah. believe that uh, newer generation captains, ice pilots, um, they do appreciate all the uh, information amount they can get. Yeah. And in particular, if they save time and not, not have to look into the really complex data sets, but uh, if they have an easy product like, like the ICC app, for example, where Absolutely. they can easily get the information they just need. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think this is another part that uh, we might uh, need to take over here is also to educate um, the people mm -hmm. by showing them um, what uh, is the innovation that the new data or new services are bringing to their weaponry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely important to show them. Um, our customers range from very conservative people who just say no, Uh, everything is fine to uh, very open and uh, people who are open for every new innovation or even beta testers um, who even want to have non yet to the end mm -hmm, mm -hmm. developed products or so. Uh, that's the entire range. But very often you have to really show them. You have to go on board uh, and show them what is the advantage. And then uh, as mm -hmm. Panos correctly mentioned, like integration on board is the key. If they feel like it's just more work having this tool on board, they will not like it. They should really, yeah, I would call it the three button solution. And uh, that's also one focus in ICC that we, we don't want to create a, another GIS, for example. I mean, a lot of people using GIS geoinformation software mm -hmm. packages, but they have like hundreds and thousands of functionalities. They are for researchers and academics and engineers. And so that's not for integrating it in a smooth and fast decision making on board. Um, and that's we, what we also um, focus here on usability and easy to learn. I always say like ICC can be learned within 10 minutes or five minutes even. Of course, what you do with the information then you have an ICC is a different story. Mm -hmm. But using ICC uh, takes five minutes to learn, yeah. not even. Maybe so even saving time is two really, minutes. really um, a big thing then. Yeah, I mean, I felt it myself on board ships. When you are there, you look on the navigation screen. Uh, out, If you look out of the window, you see eyes. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. And on the navigation screen, you just see ocean. And, and, and doesn't help you. So you, I, I, I know it from my own mm -hmm. expeditions. You, you want to have a map. Like you want to have a map showing you where is the ice? Where does it end? How long does it extend to the left, to the right? Mm -hmm. How, how, how long does it extend to the horizon yeah. or over the horizon? That's the point over the horizon. And if you find an open lead, um, how, how long does that open lead extend? Is it, is it over in five kilometers or can I follow it a hundred kilometers? And then, of course, and that forecasting comes into play, how long yeah. does that lead remain open? Okay, good. Uh, time is already up. You brought another song here, Nordisch by Nature from uh, Fettes Brot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, also another evergreen. Um, I don't know, when was it produced? I think 90s probably, yeah? early 90s or so. I don't know. I mean, it was played on every party probably. But it, it actually helped me also to to leave my home city Berlin and adopt a new um, identity here or another, uh, expand my identity to, to, to the north, uh, to Bremen, Bremerhaven. And uh, yeah, I simply like that song as well. So last but not least, I would like to give you two words to choose from and you just pick one uh, with a short explanation. Arctic or Antarctic? Arctic. I've chosen that because that is where I worked longest and I know most. Yeah. I choose also Arctic, but uh, for a different reason. That's because I have more data sets to work with <laughs> as opposed with the Antarctic uh, area, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Good explanation. Stormy ocean or calm sea? Stormy ocean. It's more adventurous. <laughs> Panos. Exactly the yeah. same. <laughs> and, uh, the same and same explanation. <laughs> sea ice or the open ocean? Sea ice. Sea ice? Definitely. Sea ice, otherwise we're out of business, I think. This is what you work with, right? <laughs> it's, it's boring working on a ship in open ocean. It's very interesting and nice. <laughs> Pressure ridges or melt ponds? Pressure ridges. Melt ponds. Oh. Uh, 
Why? A more interesting uh, feature, um, more complex, uh, more dynamic. Um, and I worked on, on pressure ridges myself. So I had a research project where we started or thinking about methods to derive porosity of, of uh, pressure mm -hmm. ridges. So I had to climb several pressure ridges in this experiment myself. So pressure ridges. Okay, cool. <laughs> Panos, you said melt ponds, huh? Yeah, it looks like actually better from the from space. That's why. Ah, yes, yeah. They, the satellite imagery. They are beautiful. Yeah. More, more artistic. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And then the last one: drift or noise? Drift, <laughs> because that's the easier part to explain in our name. <laughs> I see. Panos. The same? No, it's just to say the opposite from Lassen now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very nice. Thank you so much. Um, I just have one last uh, thing in view our, of our upcoming episodes with the people um, I mentioned already who work in the Arctic or Antarctica. Um, would you have a question uh, that I can bring to the next episodes, maybe to them? You would be interested in, you know, a question to them. I mean, what, what would they have to like integrated next in an app like ICC? So is there some information on every or almost every cruise or adventure they go? They say, oh, it would be so cool if I could just with one button now get this information. Mm -hmm. If they could answer to that question, that would be very helpful. Yeah. Okay, good. So we bring that on in the next episodes. Thank you very much, Lassen Panos, uh, for being uh, with me today and telling us more about um, Drifter Noise. I think which gives a really good example how the very complex data from the forecasting centers um, can be translated into useful products um, for people who might have these low bandwidth on their vessels and also don't have a lot of time to look into the complex data sets. And I would like to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Lasse and Panos. You can visit their website. Uh, Lasse, you say it again? Driftnoise.com. One word, driftnoise. Yes. And also, if you have any questions to them or any feedback to us, um, please send it to polarprediction at gmail.com. Also, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes and you can find more about the Polar Prediction Project on our website, polarprediction.net or on our Twitter and Instagram accounts, Polar Prediction, at Polar Prediction. So with this, uh, thanks again, Lassen Panos, and uh, goodbye from Bremen. Bye, goodbye, thanks. Thanks for giving us this opportunity. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Ice Pod, a podcast about polar science and the people. Find more information on our website, polarprediction.net, or give us feedback. Just send us an email to polarprediction at gmail.com. You can find all the links in our show notes.